us go through times in our lives when we find that it's harder to feel connected to God or we feel like it's harder to want to be connected to him. And seeing as how it's only a week after Thanksgiving, I thought I would share with you something that has been very much in the forefront of my mind lately, especially during this holiday season, particularly given the fact that Thanksgiving has just come and gone. And that is what I am thankful for, what I'm grateful for in my life. There's so many things that I could list, even such things as basic as being able to breathe or being able to see or taste or smell or hear or feel things or being able to walk without some kind of handicap. So many things that we can be grateful for often fly under the radar because we don't spend enough time being mindful of gratitude. We don't spend enough time taking stock of our blessings and realizing how good we really have it. We don't often spend this time because we're so busy always doing other things. We have so many things we have to do, so many places to be, people to talk to, things to accomplish, that often our time is consumed and our thoughts are consumed and our mental and emotional focus and energy are consumed by everything that has to be done. And when this happens, there's very little time for reflection. And during this time of year where we have Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, many of us are a lot more open to reflection because we think back on the year. Because going through an entire year is a big deal. Most of us, when we get to the end of a year, are very thoughtful. And we think about everything that we've accomplished, everything we've experienced the good choices and the bad choices, the results from both. And we resolve to choose hope for the next year. We resolve to have a different way of life in the next year. We resolve to choose to be better versions of ourselves than we were this year. We make it our aim to adjust certain things in our lives because what we've done actually is reorder our priorities. And so these changes are the natural results of the reordering of our priorities. And why have we reordered our priorities? We've done that because we realize that our potential hasn't been reached. Or we realize that our life is going, our lives are going in a direction that we don't actually want them to go in in certain respects. Maybe a few, maybe many, And when we have these breakthroughs, if as you will, or if you will, we realize that there is so much good out there. Yes, there's a lot of bad. And yes, so many people have been very negative. Even myself many times this year have been, many of us have been negative about all the things that have been going on. But personally, I choose to not let that get the best of me. I choose to be positive, to appreciate the good things that are going on in my life. And I listed a few of them for you at the beginning. And some people really might blow that kind of stuff off like, oh yeah, breathing and being able to see and walk and stuff like that. But hey, you don't understand how important those things are to you until you lose them. It's like you may not know how much you care about somebody until they pass away. 
or until that relationship or friendship ends for whatever reason. And I've resolved that I want to live every day being mindful of the good things that I have, being mindful of the blessings that I have, being mindful of that which I choose to treasure, and also being mindful of the reason why I choose to treasure those things, whether it's relationships, whether it's even something as basic as a physical possession, or whether it's something a little bit more abstract, like the freedom that I have in this country. And when I sat and thought about what I was most grateful for, I came to the conclusion as the Holy Spirit was leading my mind that that which I am most grateful for is the gift of redemption. Because even though I was raised a Christian my whole life, I am very acutely aware of the fact that I do not deserve to be redeemed. I do not deserve the forgiveness and restoration that God offers me. And yet he still extends it to me. And I am so grateful for that because I know how dark my heart can be. I know how bad I can be if left to my own devices. And this is the thing. A lot of people have a hard time with introspection and being by themselves or being in silence because they don't want to come face to face with what's within them. And I would submit to you that that's actually a very dangerous type of deferment. You're deferring the, conf the confrontation of your consciousness with your thoughts, with whatever's going on within you, because you clearly don't like what's there, but yet you're not willing to do the work to overcome it or move through it. And why is that? What are you afraid that's within you? What are you afraid that you're going to find? I would argue that you can only be, you can only truly be free and you can only truly experience joy and satisfaction, fulfillment, meaning, and purpose in life if you take the time to do introspection and confront the giants within you. The reason for this is because if you know that there's something dark in the closet within you, so to speak, the monster under the bed, if you will, in your heart, in your mind, in your life, dwelling within you, and you refuse to acknowledge it, let alone do something about it, then you will always be living in fear of that thing and it will control you. And it will hinder you from growth in every aspect of your life. You will never truly be able to believe in your potential because you have not overcome that issue. And for many of us, that monster under the bed is sin that we struggle with or something that we've done in the past and we don't quite believe that we've been forgiven or that we can be forgiven or that we will be forgiven because we make God to be like us and we lower him to our level and say, you know what? I don't know if he can really forgive me or, or maybe he can, but I can't forgive myself. We're harsh with ourselves that way. We say, I can't forgive myself. I can't believe I was so stupid to do that. I can't believe I was so thoughtless to not consider the consequences and I went and did that. I hate myself for that. I know about that because I've struggled with that for sure. And I had a hard time for a long time understanding grace. And I can't tell you that I've mastered the concept, but I'm getting a lot better at accepting it and loving it and appreciating it and dwelling on it. 
And part of the reason I think is because I personally tend to leer toward the perfectionist mindset, if you will. I want, I've often wanted things to be a very certain and particular way, sometimes unreasonably rigidly so, and that has never been fulfilling. And I had to realize over the last few years that there's no chance that I'm going to be perfect at anything. And so I have to extend grace to myself. And only when I was able to forgive myself and extend grace to myself was I able to truly feel like I could accept the grace of God. And that's important because Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and verse 10 also tell us that it's not up to us as far as grace is concerned. It's from God. We don't earn grace. Many of us are Christians and we say that we believe that grace is a free gift from God, but that's not the way that we truly live. That's not the way that we truly go through life with respect to our thoughts. What does the passage say? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice carefully how it does not depend on us. The grace that God extends is not conditional based on our good behavior or bad behavior. It just says that for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we see here that being saved by grace through faith does not depend on our spiritual pedigree. does not depend on how many generations back our family has been Christian. doesn't depend on the responsibilities we've taken on in the church. It's a free gift, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This is pivotal. This is what sets apart Christianity from other religions. Because our salvation does not depend on how well we behave. Of course, I would add that if you are saved, your actions will correspond to that gift of redemption and you will live in a different way because you are saved. But I'm not but what I'm saying is that the grace that you are given does not depend on your behavior. It's always extended to you. And guess what else the Bible says? Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 to 16 tell us that when we do sin, we can go boldly to the throne of grace. This is what the author says. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I like that. Come bold, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. When it says boldly, that does not mean that you come timidly wondering if the passage is true, if the promise is true. It means you stake everything you have on that. You're all in, if you will, with the poker analogy, right? Your faith is built on nothing less but Jesus and his righteousness. 
So what does that mean then? It means that we base everything that we believe in, everything that we hope for, everything that we love on this one promise, that we can come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I don't know about you, but I need mercy and grace to help in many times of need. (laughs) How about all the time? (laughs) I like these promises because they tell us who God truly is. They show us how much he cares about us. And when we looked at Ephesians 2 verse 10, it said, "For For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, if we're his workmanship, that means we are being created, crafted, if you will. That's the word I wanted to say. We're being crafted by the hands of God. And actually, the Greek word in, or the Greek word for carpenter, when it talks about Jesus being a carpenter in the Gospels, is tecton. And a tecton was somebody who not only knew how to work with wood, like we think of as a carpenter, but was also someone who could work with stone. So I want you to imagine when it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that Jesus himself is chiseling us out of the rock, that he's taking the sandpaper or whatever other tools to, to polish us and smooth us out. And ultimately, he's taking the buffing wheel and making us a perfectly polished marble statue of some immeasurable worth some masterpiece that compared to what we were before is a night and day difference to say the least it's something absolutely marvelous something miraculous it's a beautiful adventure to go through that process and that is life life is that process we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them and so i want to encourage you to think about this gift of grace that you've been given, this gift of redemption. Now, redemption is a very powerful word. I think it's very under-understood, if I could say it that way. Redemption means you went over the edge and you were brought back and restored. There's a concept that is called more than recovery. And what it means is that and, and Paul talks about this in different words. He doesn't, I don't think he uses those exact words. But Paul says that the mystery of godliness, the mystery of salvation is such, that, is, such, is such a deep thing that the angels desire to understand it. I'm paraphrasing a little bit there. But truly, because the angels have never sinned and been redeemed, they don't know what it's like to be redeemed. Only human beings will ever know that beautiful process, not even the angels. Think about that for a second. And so all throughout eternity, we will be marveling at the gift of grace. We will be marveling at redemption because redemption means that we have accomplished more than recovery. And what does that mean? It means that once we were lost and then We were restored to intimacy with God. Sin created a chasm between us and God. Our ancestors, Adam and Eve, fell from their perfect state. And they were surrendered to the effects of sin, to include ultimately death. And 
when we are redeemed by God, when we accept salvation, not only are we brought back to a better place of intimacy with God, but we actually know him more fully than the angels will in a certain sense because we know what it is like to have fallen from grace and yet been given it once more. I don't think I could ever do that concept justice, but I want you to go to the Bible for yourself and read those promises of salvation and redemption and grace for yourself and ponder them in your own time so that you can truly understand how beautiful a concept this is. That all throughout eternity, even though humans are not the oldest creature that will be there, I don't know how long the angels have existed for, but I mean, who even knows what number to put on it? But even them being in the presence of God in heaven with nothing to keep them from him, they won't know the depth of his heart to the same degree that we will because we have been redeemed more than recovery. How can you not be thankful for that? I want to leave you with this invitation. I know I've read it before and I don't I am unapologetic about it because it's one of the best passages in my opinion in the Bible. It's such and it's such an accurate depiction of the heart of God. It's Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 to 30. This is Jesus invitation for you today. He says, "Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me." For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Wherever you are listening to this, I encourage you to just open your heart and your mind to God, to ask Him to bring you closer to Him. Ask Him to redeem you if you've never asked that before. And even if you are someone who has been redeemed by God already, just recommit yourself again to him now as you hear these words. Reaffirm your faith. Take time to spend in the Bible reading these promises, memorizing them, taking them to heart, meditating on them, and then sharing them with people. Let them influence the way that you live your life so that you can truly be a beacon of hope, of love, of understanding and thoughtfulness and care, and watch the amazing miracles God begins to work through you as you are willing to be used, as you are willing to share with others the joy that you have from being redeemed. And I promise you that if you do this, you may go through hard times in life, but they will not be able to take away your peace and your joy and your confidence in the one in whom you believe. Thankfulness dispels bitterness, envy, it dispels duplicity of heart and it lifts you up to be one with God. Be thankful right now and every day for the gift of redemption.